Are you tired of being broke? Is the month lasting longer than your actual paychecks? Well, get the Simple Budget Calendar. You can get the Simple Budget Calendar at aboutthatwallet.com shop and download your Simple Budget Calendar today. Are you planning to travel soon and you just need something to travel with you to clean the dirty laundry because you don't want to have the stinky socks hanging next to those clean white shirts? Then look no further. You want to make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze, which is clean laundry, no plastic jugs. Turn an everyday chore into an act of kindness. Earth Breeze provides a powerful clean while making a difference. An eco-responsible laundry detergent delivered to your home. So go ahead on and join 1 million plus people who have made the switch. They experience a powerful clean, remove tough stains and strong odors, works in all machines, HE included, hypoallergenic, and great for sensitive skin, in safe space, and easy to use. I make sure I use that on all of my products. Make sure you get yourself some Earth Breeze today. Go to aboutthatwallet.com forward slash Earth Breeze. I like prenups because I, I like to say that they are in agreement about how you're going to split up. And it's nice to make that agreement while everybody is happy. So we can agree on Listen, if um, if we split up, here's what would happen with the furniture in our household. Right. Here's how we're going to decide who gets what. Or, you know, so if there's something that is to be argued about that you're deciding ahead of time, you know, you're making agreement, this is how it's going to work out. So I like that we can outline that ahead of time before people have hurt feelings and things like that. Welcome, everybody, back to another exciting show of the About That Wallet podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits. And I have the honor to bring on the amazing Tracy Cullen. And she has been doing a fantastic job in the financial space. She is actually helping a lot of divorcees or people that are going through divorce find extra money from their spouses that they're about to get all the divorce from. So, she is a certified public accountant and she is also certified in financial forensics and is a master analyst in financial forensics. Um, so she has been doing this for well over 25 years and has been providing so much value in this financial space community because divorces happen. And one of the beautiful things about divorces is trying to find out those habits that we need to build when we don't really know about the finances in that relationship. So I know it's a lot, Tracy, but how have you been? It's a lot. I'm a lot. (laughs) I've been fantastic. You know, I have been over here just finding money for people, right? People ask me, what do you do? I say, I'm a forensic accountant. I find money. I'm doing fraud investigations. Some of them in the divorce space, some of them on the corporate level, 
uh, for companies fighting over contracts or for companies that have executives who've stolen from them. And so I really, really enjoy doing that. But I have a special place in my heart for people who are going through that awful process of divorce, mm-hmm. which is how you and I met because I was talking about my divorce money guide and my focus in the divorce space. Yeah. And so what is the, because a lot of people go through divorce, um, what is the common mistakes that uh, going through this divorce process that a lot of people kind of overlook when it comes to their finances? Well, I think one of the biggest problems is that you have usually one spouse who isn't on top of what's been going on with the money. In marriage, it is typical that we divide and conquer. You take care of laundry while I take care of cooking dinner every night, right? It's Mm -hmm. We share things. And so what I see is in most marriages, there is usually one spouse who's primarily responsible for the money. And that's okay. That is nothing to be ashamed of. What I see is that, you know, the people who haven't been in charge of the money come in a divorce feeling ashamed that they don't know where their money has been going. And I'm like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's super common that this is how it's done. And you trust your spouse. You're supposed to trust your spouse. You wouldn't be married if you didn't trust your spouse. But now that you're getting divorced, let's not make the mistake of saying, well, I don't know anything about the finances. Let's just proceed through this process. You must get your arms around what's been going on with the money. So I talk a lot about fraud, but um, you don't have to think that there's fraud to have a need to dig into the numbers in in your marriage. You need to know what's been going on with the money before you settle your divorce. So what are your thoughts on um, combining? Because you hear a lot of people say, well, we should combine our finances because, you know, that's what marriage is. And if you don't trust me, we shouldn't get married and all this fun stuff. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. So in my marriage money guide, I talk about exactly that, that there are options. And so the three options that I present are keeping your money separate, completely combining the money or doing something in the middle where some of your money is together, but you still keep some of it separate. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that the preference for most married people is to combine the money because they do look at this as we are merging our lives. We should merge our money as well. And I always say, if that's what you want to do, That's great. It makes certain things easier. I walk through in the marriage money guide, like the pros and cons of each of those three ways of doing it so that people can know, okay, if you want to put all your money together here, this is why it's great. And here's why you might want to uh, be a little careful about it. Um, I hate the judgment that people put out there. Like, so, okay, if someone doesn't combine their money, Right. Judging them for that, like none of your business. If they want to keep their money separate and that works for them, what I think is more important than which way you choose to handle your money is having an agreement between the spouses that if this doesn't work for us, we're open to changing it somehow. And that communication is so key. Um, and that's what I try to tell a lot of people. It was like, well, finances is one of the biggest leaders in divorce. And True. Honestly, I really think it's just a communication about how you spend your finances, um, because you talk about it a lot, especially in the forensic side of the house of like, how do you recognize those red flags uh, in the divorce, especially around the finances? So what are the red flags that you actually look for or the discrepancies in the finances? 
there is a whole laundry list of red flags. Now, what the red flags are, are the warning signs that something is wrong. So they're not proof of fraud. They're not necessarily specific transactions, but they are signs. And so I am looking for things or, or telling people who are married, if you see these kinds of things, you might want to be worried. Things like your spouse becoming more secretive about the money than they had been in the past, or your spouse engaging in financial transactions that go outside the agreements you've had. Like you might have an agreement that says, nobody spends more than $500 without us talking first. And if your spouse has always abided by that, and now you see he or she spent $900, we never talked about it. Spent a couple thousand dollars, we never talked about it. This is something new, and this is something you want to be concerned about. And so, I mean, I could spend an hour telling you long lists of red flags. Here's what I identified as I was putting together the divorce money guide that people don't know is this something I should be worried about or not? Am I paranoid? Am I making something up? Am I looking for something to pick at? So I put together an assessment, 15 questions um, that someone can go through where I ask them about how the money is handled in their house and some questions about, have you ever seen these types of things occurring? And you check off what you've seen. And I know which of those are kind of more likely to lead to fraud. And so when you get through your 15 questions, you will have an assessment of how likely I think it is that there might be a problem with the money in your marriage. And I wanted that because I wanted to give people an objective way to see what was going on in their marriage before they get too worried unnecessarily or before they dismiss the signs. I mean, I think that's what we tend to do in marriage is dismiss the signs Mm -hmm. because we want to trust our spouse. Yeah, we do, honestly, because like um, I'm right now and one of the things that our agreement was is to keep everything separate um, and everything has been going peachy. Like if there's something that I really want to get into or something that I want to purchase, I'll just go ahead on and do it. It was more so of our agreement. It's only really one liner, which is saying if your expenses are or your hobbies or whatever you're doing start to entrench on the household or my own finances, then we have a problem. But right. as long as you can handle your own money and handle your own self, hey, it's it's happy. So that's what I do in our side of the house. Um, so which brings up another question is, are prenups and uh, postnups like good? I like prenups because I, I like to say that they are in agreement about how you're going to split up. And it's nice to make that agreement while everybody is happy. So we can agree on, listen, if um, if we split up, here's what would happen with the furniture in our household. Right. Here's how we're going to decide who gets what. Or, you know, so if there's something that is to be argued about that you're deciding ahead of time, you know, you're making agreement, this is how it's going to work out. So I like that we can outline that ahead of time before people have hurt feelings and things like that. That is amazing. Okay, because a lot of people get really, it's like a sensitive sensitive topic. Is there um, any like cases where you saw where the, the prenup just didn't work? Well, certainly, you know, someone can go to court and say, please don't uphold the prenup. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that can be a problem. The other problem that I've seen sometimes is 
there are problems that you don't think about ahead of time, right? Like something changed in the relationship or there was some unusual circumstance that you couldn't have prepared for. So it's not in the prenup. And now what do we do? I think those are kind of the most common problems that I see with them, but I still feel like it's better to have one than not because you can still plan for the things, think it all through. Um, and yeah, something might come up that you didn't plan for. That's okay. Everything else is still covered, right? Right, right. That is so cool. Okay. Now, one of the things when I was researching a little bit about you, and, and one of the things that came up was that there are cases where the person could actually win up to 75% instead of the 50% that everybody thinks when they divorce. Okay. I know what you're talking about. So here's the thing, right? Every state has different laws about exactly how it works out. But if you wanted to put it in general, you kind of start from the starting point of everything gets divided 50-50. That's pretty typical is, is where we're looking at it. But sometimes one spouse can get more of the assets. And here's the kind of situation where I see it happening. You have a long-term marriage, okay? They've been married for 20 years. One spouse, we'll just say the wife, quit her job early on to raise the children. Mm -hmm. Hasn't been in the workforce for 15 or more years. Is not up to date in skills in her field, right? Will probably have a hard time getting a job. Might have to go back to school. At that same time, she has a husband who has been advancing his career all 20 years has gone up that ladder and started earning more money and has saved a lot of money for retirement. If they're getting divorced now after 20 years, I'm looking at this situation saying he has an opportunity to save a ton of money going forward for retirement because he's making so much and he's so established in his career. She, on the other hand, after 20 years of marriage is much, you know, is getting close to retirement time but will not be able to make up all that ground that she's lost. Therefore, I want to make the argument that she should get 75% of the retirement account that they currently have. He can rebuild from there. And, you know, there are people uh, in the financial space for divorce that will do calculations like that. They will say, if you split it 75, 25, or whatever the number is, pick a number. You split it this way today based on the job he has and how much he can save and the job we think she's going to get and how much she can save. When they get to retirement age, here's what their accounts are each going to look like. Mm, okay. So it's complicated. It's not as simple as saying someone gets 75% end of story. It gets complicated. <laughs> but what I think is important, I want people to understand that, you know, Everything isn't 50-50. When you have that spouse who is way further ahead of you financially because of choices that you all have made in your marriage, you can get consideration of that in your divorce. Okay. So I want to bring back the divorce money guide because one of the things about that um, that I did uh, really gravitate me towards it was that you actually help people understand how to save money prior to going to the lawyer um and helping them actually understand a lot of those uh the things that they need to ask their spouse because having sometimes when you've been out of the space so much it's kind of it's kind of hard to actually start having those conversations so how does one who is um wanting to start those conversations how should they go about that 
So if everything is on automatic bill pay, that's great, but the money's going to run out at some point, right? And so to say, Anthony, I want to start understanding where our money is and how the bills are paid. Can I get access to log into the account? Can you start showing me what we're doing and how you have things set up? So at least I have an understanding of what we're doing financially in case something happens to you. Um, so if they want to hire you after they go through the divorce guide, what does that look like? So if they went through the divorce money guide and really got a handle on their finances and unfortunately found out that there is something going on, there is money that has been taken out of their accounts, they don't know where it went, and they and and it ultimately is a little bit more complicated than a lot of people's situations. Um they come to me and they want to hire me as a forensic accountant. I certainly want to loop their attorney in on the conversation because the attorney is going to know about the strategy in court and under your state laws, what we can pursue and things like that. So there might be a scenario where, you know, someone finds out money went to this certain place and the attorney might say, well, that's not something we're going to be able to recover for these reasons, right? Or it might be something where the attorney says, oh, we would have a great argument on that and here's how we would pursue it. So it's a matter of all three of us putting our heads together to come up with a strategy because forensic accounting is really expensive. And so I want to make sure that we're spending that money wisely and that I am bringing something to the table for them. So if we can come together and create a strategy for what do we want to investigate and what are we going to do with the results when we're done, that's the first best step. Wow. Okay. Cause you're the first person I ever heard that did this. I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, and the reason why is because you're actually out there on social media. So I'm just going through the second segment, which is talking about, your habits and how did you actually like get to this level? So what were your, I guess you could say financial habits that kind of got you to where you are today? Well, in developing my business, I have been a solo practitioner for 23 years. So I've been at it a long time. I was always about the backup plan for my money. So if this business doesn't work out, or if this project doesn't come through, if this fee doesn't come through, what is my backup plan? So day one, I started the business. I had no savings. I had no established customer base. I didn't even really have a professional network because I was so new in the business world. Started the business and I immediately went to a temp agency who sent out accountants to businesses who needed temporary help. Because I did the math and I knew that if I did that, that my rent was going to be paid and I was going to be able to feed myself. And so everything else would be okay. And I've sort of kept that, that approach the entire time I've been in business. So after about a year of that, um, I had clients, I had a few clients. Now it took me a lot longer to get clients than I planned, but I had a few and I wasn't able to go out and do the temping thing and still take care of these clients. And so I'm like, all right, I need a different backup plan. I started teaching college level accounting courses at night mm. because at night it wouldn't interfere with what I was doing during the day. And again, I did the math. My rent is always paid and I can always feed myself. That's going to be the backup money. So that has been how I have done things for 23 years now. Being in it so long, I don't anymore need to have a backup part-time job type of thing, 
But every time a potential project comes in the door, I'm looking at it saying, okay, you know, this project might be some extra money for the month that I can set aside. Because what if next month is slower? Mm. Yep. I love the backup plan. Because mm -hmm. everybody, because you hear a lot of people say, like, when you're starting something, you got to go all in. There is no plan B. Like, you should do this. And it's like, it doesn't work like that all the time. Well, the thing is that my backup plan wasn't the backup plan for I'm going to fail at this business. It was just always the backup to how am I going to feed myself until this does what it needs to do for me. So, but, but I did in the back of my mind, you know, go through like doomsday scenarios. If everything goes completely haywire and I never get any clients and nobody loves me, what do I do? I can always go get a full-time job in the accounting industry. I know this. I know that that is possible. I mean, and there were times early on in the years where I was looking online for jobs like, okay, should I start applying? Like I had some really low valleys of no income and I was single. And so I had no one, you know, I didn't have a spouse with funds and a job backing me up. And so there were times where I was like, oh, okay, at what point do I have to pull the trigger and apply for a job? Now, I never ended up having to do that. But I was always willing to if I had to. Mm. I like that story because it, it's um, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, feel like they are failure because they have a second job or they have something else on the side and they're not all in because you hear about it on Shark Tank. They was like, well, you're not all in, so I'm out. Like life happens, you know, you got to make sure that things are on the table. So you did awesome. I think it's responsible. It's really responsible to not leave that job until you know that you are able to support your family with your self-employment, right? Yeah. Until you have enough saved as that, right? Your, your backup plan might be to have a bunch of savings. Mm -hmm. Cool. Then you don't leave your day job until that savings is there. I like how you your mind is processing everything. It's so cool. Um, I appreciate you, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, because I, I pick up patterns pretty quickly, and I, I like how it works out for you. And then also, I'm thinking about like how does it actually could work out for others. And right. like you said, just have those um, those must haves, and this is your must have, and this is the boundary that you're setting for your finances that you're never going to go below this amount. And but at the minimum, I'm making sure that I got something in my tummy right. and I got a roof over my head. I love that. I, I am a risk taker. So I've taken a big risk with the divorce money guide um, in terms of the amount of time I've invested, the amount of money I've invested a lot of money in, you know, having things done correctly, having the videos done professionally, having consultants who have expertise in certain areas help me develop certain things. So I've taken a lot of risk with it. But at the same time, being a risk taker, I also have a conservative side to me that is always making sure that I have that money and will never be destitute, right? And so I think you can do both. Like there are a lot of people who say, be a risk taker, just quit the job and go do the thing because you will be successful if you're all in and you have no other choice. And it's like, eh, I I'm not sure that I want to risk potentially losing my house that way. I don't think that's a smart risk. We can take smart risks. So the risk with the money guides was, I'm willing to put 
X amount of dollars into it without seeing the payback yet, because I know that at that dollar level, I still have this much in savings. I still have my consulting work that is coming in, right? I'm a consultant. I spend most of my time consulting um, and I probably spend about 15% of my time on the money guides because I'm making sure I have the roof over my head with the consulting work. Right. So with the 15% um, of your earnings towards the money guide, so can you give us a little bit more detail into the money guide? Like what would somebody get when they purchase this money guide? Awesome question. So the divorce money guide is an online handbook. So it's on an online learning platform and it is um, heavily video based but there are PDFs that go along with the videos. So you can read the PDFs or watch the videos or do both at the same time, which is what I would do because I like to do both. And there's worksheets, there's checklists. And so it is a 10 step process that I walk you through, but you don't have to do all 10 steps. So if 10 steps seems like a lot, don't even fear. Um, let's say you have a particular concern about what's been going on with the taxes in your marriage. Mm -hmm. You could skip right to the tax step and deal with that one, right? And so you don't have to do all 10 of the steps. But if you did do all of them, what you would see is that I take you through, let's get prepared for the process of divorce and make sure you're protecting yourself, protecting your information. Here is what's going to happen in that financial part of your divorce, some of the legal things that are going to go on that are pretty typical. And then I get into what documents do you need for this financial analysis that we're going to do? How do you get them? How do you organize them once you have them? And what do you look for in them to do the investigation? And when you find things, then what happens? And what's super important here is the framework for how do you get your documents I found has been, has really resonated with people because here's what attorneys tend to do. Your divorce attorney is going to say to you, okay, go get all your bank statements. Right. Now, for someone who's not been involved in the family finances, that's actually super overwhelming to them. Mm -hmm. To you and I, it might be like, oh, easy. Yeah. We'll go log on to online banking and we click here and we click there and there's our bank statements. That is for a lot of people who are in the position of needing a divorce money guide. It is not that obvious to them. So I walk them through. Here's exactly how you can get your bank statements in your little hands. I like that. Now, one of the things is that um, sometimes, though you might be married, and the husband is uh might have all the finances and or even the the wife might have all the finances and just a stay-at-home dad um how does one get access to those even though they they may not have their name on it if your name is on it you automatically can get access by contacting your bank your credit card company that's easy if your name is not on an account don't go trying to break into the online banking. I might be able to guess his password or any of that kind of stuff. That's not good. The way that we get access to it is by your attorney sending a subpoena to the bank. It is a super routine, super easy part of the divorce process. The subpoena is basically a document, a legal document that says, hello, bank, there is a case pending in court and you need to turn over these records to us. You send that to a bank, they get these all the time in cases. They have a department that digs up the bank statements. And within a few weeks, you have them in your hands. Easy. Nice. Okay. I didn't know you. So, well, I'll tell you this, though. A lot of attorneys many times say, 
well, let's not send the subpoena yet. Let's just ask your husband to go into online banking and get the bank statements and send them to us. If you guys are cooperating, that might work really well. And that might be easy and quick. But I see a lot of cases where the other person stalls and stalls and stalls and stalls. And I'm like, why aren't we just sending a subpoena? Let's just bypass them and send the subpoena. And the attorney's like, oh, all right, I guess we can do that. And I'm saying, why didn't you just do it from the start? If, if she's saying, my husband is uncooperative and I don't think he's going to give them to us, forget it. The subpoena is so easy. Mm. Okay. And it doesn't cost anything extra. Well, obviously time. Is right. It costs your attorney's time. Mm. And sometimes the banks have a small fee that goes along with it. Sometimes, a lot of times there's not any fee from the bank. And, and it all depends on what the laws are in your state about it, uh, whether they can charge you or not. But generally, it's not going to cost you. Okay. So with forensics, um, we always watch like the CSIs and all the fun stuff, right? So right. how do you do most of your research? If um, I'm sorry, let me back this up. Because in order to break into something, you have to think like a criminal almost and like try to find it because this is something that you would do. Um, did you have to go through like that mindset first? It was like, yeah, I'm a hacker. I'm a criminal type person and I'm a hot money. What I do is really not that cloak and dagger. I have to be honest with you. What I do is very heavily based in financial documents. Mm. So if you came to me and said, I think my wife is hiding money from me and I need to find it. Can you go find if she has secret bank accounts? The answer is no, I don't go on a wild goose chase and like turn over rocks and try to find her secret bank account under it. What I do is you get me all of the account statements that you have. Like, let's say you did have your finances combined. Get me all the account statements you have. And I dig through those and dig through all the transactions. And I look for the clues to where she might be hiding the money. Like, hey, Anthony, did you know that last year um, she withdrew $10,000 cash from your joint bank account? And you're going to be like, no, I had no idea. I'm like, do you have any idea where the money went? No, I have no idea. Okay, this is now something we need to track down. Got you. And then do you just like, all right, um, just look at, like, what, what will be the next step almost? So what I will do is I will take all of the transactions from your bank and credit card statements, put them all into an Excel spreadsheet. And I start categorizing them like, oh, I can see your mortgage payment. I can see someone going to the grocery store or whatever. Get those all categorized. And I will, you know, we can look at how much were you spending on groceries? Like, oh, wait a second. Last month, it looks like $3,000 was spent at the grocery store. That's not right. And I'll say to you, do you know what some people do? Um, they might go for your regular grocery shopping trip and they grab a Visa gift card and throw it into what they've purchased that day because they know that you're not going to look for that, right? right? And maybe that's how the cost got run up on the grocery bills or something like that, right? So I'm looking for unusual transactions, either individually unusual ones or looking at a particular category of spending and, and you saying, there's no way we spent $3,000 a month at the grocery store. What happened? Mm -hmm. And so then I end up with a list of transactions that we have questions about or that we know are bad. What might be a bad transaction? Going to a casino, mm. the ATM machine at the strip club, um, you know, jewelry that your wife didn't get. 
right. that maybe went to a girlfriend. So, so things like that. There are there end up being obvious things, and then there end up being non-obvious things. On the obvious side, a lot of it might relate to like those cash withdrawals where you're saying, you know, my wife and I, we rarely use cash for anything. We use cards because we want to track our spending. If your wife is all of a sudden going to an ATM two and three times a week, taking out three, four, five hundred dollars each time, those are bad transactions. And, and that's something super common that I see. That is crazy. Cause you um you did mention um something about like doing that research, how can you know, tracking it down through also like social media, I noticed that a lot of people have public pages out there um, and you just trying to figure out, okay, well, who is this extra person um, that they could be spending the money on? Like how does social media come into play? Social media I have used to help identify transactions as bad ones. Mm. Um, you know, finding the girlfriend on social media and seeing that she tagged herself at a particular restaurant on a particular day and, that restaurant is on that bank, uh, bank statement or credit card statement on that exact day. Right. right. So uh, that's one of the things I um There's actually a bonus part of the divorce money guy called investigating people. Mm -hmm. And it talks about using resources like social media, public records, like court records or real estate records and things like that to try to figure out who people are, because you, that's what you've brought up is exactly what people are concerned about is like trying to track down who's who. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on that stuff because I'm really numbers focused, but there are times where, you know, I'll see um, a transaction with a business name on it for, you know, $5,000. What is this business? And I'll start Googling and then I'll come across, okay, who owns this business? and start tying them back to, oh my gosh, the spouse is cheating, right? right? So that does get interesting, but it's not a huge focus of my work. Gotcha. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Like, do you do like interns to just to kind of help you out with the research side of the house? I don't. I work alone. I've worked alone for 23 years. Now I have some uh, people who work for me on a contract basis to do certain pieces of my cases, like as like when I have overflow and things like that, I have a little bit too much work going on, but I don't do interns. I am very, uh, I'm very independent. I like to have that control over the cases and I like to see and go down that rabbit hole myself. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's move on to the third segment, which is talking about the future. So um, what do you see yourself or even your business in the next two years? So I'll just talk about the money guide business piece of my overall business. I launched the first money guide at the very end of June. So divorce money guide is still pretty brand new. Um, we've just recently launched the post divorce money guide to tell people all of those things that you need to do after your divorce is final to make sure that you're protected and that your ex can't meddle in your finances anymore. Hmm. And we launched the marriage money guide for women which is instructing them on how you can set up your money, how you can have those money conversations, how you protect yourself going into marriage in case, God forbid, something goes south in the marriage. So I've got these three money guides. We're brand new business. Um, 
two years from now, I see this business really, really thriving. It, there is a very long lead time to selling these products, to getting them really established to where you have consistent, good sales. I'm recognizing how difficult it is to just get the word out that these products exist because there's been nothing in the forensic accounting space that has ever existed like this before. So when I say the divorce money guide is some do-it-yourself forensic accounting, people's minds are blown. Mind blown. What? How could I do this myself? So there's a lot of education. There's you know a lot of legwork that goes into building this. But two years from now, I believe that the money guide revenue will at least equal my consulting revenue, if not more. Wow. Okay. Because I could see it as you were talking about it in so many different aspects. Like you're, when you got the marriage counseling, um, a lot of marriage counselors could definitely use the premarital um, guide. I'm sorry, I messed up the guide names. Um, marriage money guide. Yes, the marriage money guide. Thank you. Um, and with the marriage money guide, they are able to um, sit down. Now, is this something that they can do together or is this was so, supposed to be done separate? So I wrote this money guide from the perspective it is written for women and they're not prohibited from doing it with their future spouse. But I do recommend that they do it themselves first because my approach is you are protecting yourself as you go into marriage. This is a time to be a little bit selfish and figure out how to protect yourself in case something goes wrong. So I know that's going to be a little controversial. Like I'm not fully like, oh, let's do everything together. (laughs) And you know what? I want someone to go through the marriage money guide and decide what works best for them. Like, I want them to decide which way do you prefer to handle the money in your marriage. And that might not be where you end up with your spouse, but I want you to consider these without your future spouse's input first, right? So you you can go through the guide and say, you know what? I really prefer to keep my money separate. After having heard all the pros and cons of each of them and how it would work, I prefer to keep my money separate, but I don't think my spouse is going to go for that. Mm. Fine. You guys can have a discussion, decide what you agree on, but I think there's a great value in independently, without any influence, deciding what you prefer before you have those other discussions. I love that. Yeah, because it gives you the sense of empowerment of your own finances before you start digging into anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Man. All right, we can go on a whole nother venture. On oh, we could spend hours, Anthony. We could spend hours. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking about like, how long should somebody live by themselves before they even start talking about getting married? How long should they stay engaged while they having these conversations? And then also going through the guide, they realize like, hey, I have I, my views of money are totally different from my spouse's and I don't think we're going to match um, or we're going to make this really work because we're going to constantly have these bumping heads. But I really like their personality. It's like psychological piece like my mind has gone on so many different places now it's so cool i love the guide i love that you love the guide because i do too (laughs) i mean it was so okay not being silly about it like when i came up with the concept for the divorce money guide it was all about helping people it was you know 95 percent of people who are getting divorced can't afford a forensic accountant but if they have concerns or they need assistance with how to get their arms around the money where do they turn And I was 
bothered that there wasn't a resource out there for them. Yeah, there are people who might help you with budgeting and things like that, but there really wasn't a resource that showed them, here's how you get these documents, here's what to do with them and where to look and how to figure out what's been going on. And so I was bothered and I was like, gosh, there should be a resource out there. Why can't there be a resource? And then it switched to why can't I create the resource? I was like, man, you know what? I do about 20 cases a year mm-hmm. in my consulting business. And only about a third of those are in the divorce space. So if I'm helping six or seven people a year who are getting divorces, I was like, you know what? I could probably help a thousand people a year with the divorce money guide. Probably even more. There's about 700,000 divorces filed every year in the US. There are a lot of people who could use my help. And so it was all about helping. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we're going to have to have a longer discussion because I would like to pick your brain. Okay, no, we'll do it. Um, all right. So you ready for the uh, final four questions? Yes. All righty. So number one, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth is not just money. It is an overall state of being. So it is, yes, having money that makes you feel comfortable for whatever your level of comfort is, but it is also having your health, having your relationships on point and having job satisfaction, whatever that job may be, or that self-employment. And so wealth is really holistic for me. Awesome. Number two, what was your worst money mistake? Okay. So you're going to get a kick out of this. I actually day trade just a little bit. And I've been doing that for the last seven-ish years. Um, I initially was thinking about maybe trying to make it be like a big part of what I did. And I, I did some training, like some really intense training on it to learn how to do it. And my big money mistake with that was one set of trades that was really, really stupid that caused me to lose like $40,000 like in a day. It was just stupid. I had, I had identified, yep, I had identified a stock that I was trading. I was doing well. I've made a bunch of money in. I had made like something like $20,000 in it. And I was super excited about it. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to trade one more time and get this up to like $30,000 of profit. I not only lost that $20,000 I had made, I lost like another $30,000 on top of it. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Very regretful about that. But you learned a lesson. I learned a huge lesson. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that lesson would be, but just take it. Well, to be <laughs> right, to not be greedy, number one. And the big lesson for anyone out there who does get involved in trading stocks is you're supposed to have rules and parameters in place for yourself and you're supposed to take the emotion out of it. I did not follow my own self-imposed rules. My self-imposed rules said do not continue to trade this because there were things that were showing in it, in this stock Mm -hmm. that went against my personal philosophy of trading. And those signs said, don't trade it anymore. And I was like, oh no, no, it's going to be fine. So follow your rules. There's your lesson. (laughs) Right. So make sure y'all get to our money guys. Right. (laughs) Follow the rule. Uh, Number three. What is your favorite financial or non-financial book? My favorite 
books are John Grisham books. So, you know, the lawyer stories, I don't care how realistic or not they are. He has a way of writing that just draws me in and I get lost in those stories. Awesome. Number four, what is your favorite dish to make? Lasagna. I make a really mean lasagna. Yeah, you have to show me a picture of that. Um, And I'll definitely show it up here. So it'll be pretty cool. I'm not going to show you a picture really? of my lasagna. I don't take pictures <laughs> of my food. It just really? tastes, I mean, I, and I can't say it looks that pretty. It just tastes really, really good. Okay. You're the only one eating it or you sharing? Uh, I share with my husband. Okay. <laughs> He's a smile. Okay. Uh, the right last question is where could people find out more about you? They can find me on Instagram. My handle there is Divorce Money Guide or any of the three money guides that we talked about. Um, the URLs are super simple that they can use. Divorcemoneyguide.com, postdivorcemoneyguide.com, or marriagemoneyguide.com. All of those are going to take you to my main website, which is fraudcoach.com because I am your fraud coach. So lots of URLs. Don't get confused. It all takes you to the same place. That is smart marketing. I love that. So, because Amazon does it too. I think they have another URL that will take you directly to Amazon because it was named something else first before it came before it became Amazon. That's awesome. Yeah. So, everybody, if you guys are having a hard time, you know, just figuring out your finances, you're going through um, a divorce, or you're just going through that rough patch in your marriage, and you just thinking about divorcing. Definitely, you want to make sure you get your divorce money guide. If you're even thinking about going to marry somebody or planning on having a marriage or the person actually decided to propose, you want to make sure you get the marriage money guide. Make sure you get your finances in order and also the post-divorce money guide because we do have to protect ourselves out there. Um, and I talk about it multiple times on my show on how I protected myself when I left my ex. So please, these things are very important. Uh, you need to protect yourself, protect your sanity and be successful out there with your money. All right, everybody. Y'all be safe. I'm out. Peace.